Good afternoon, Dennis. And last week we talked about a herb that does wonderful things for a condition you've called nervous dyspepsia. Uh, now, we talked a bit about it, mm. but there are some other herbs that you'd mm. like to talk mm. about as mm. well that will deal with that condition. We will, Jane. We'll look at two other herbs of similar ilk, particularly the, uh, the peppermint and, and also the chamomile. Uh, those two herbs, together with lemon balm that we spoke about last week, are three European favourites for dealing with a lot of functional conditions of the gut. So we'll look at those, but before we do, we might review what we said about lemon balm and look at some of the factors that perhaps we didn't take up. Lemon balm. Yes, look, we had some interesting um, discussions last week about lemon balm, but we didn't fulfil all that could have been said about this fascinating herb that, like so many herbs, uh, is just taken as uh, an interesting, fascinating thing, but uh, frequently not appreciated for its profound medicinal properties. Uh, It it needs to be emphasised that uh, in other parts of the world, in other parts of the world, herbs are taken much more seriously than what they are in English-speaking countries, particularly Australia. And frequently on this program, I, I mention... Uh, the European tradition, and I mentioned the writings of great uh, European uh, medicos and herbalists, and I mentioned frequently the writings of the famous German uh, medical practitioner and herbalist, uh, herbalist Dr. Rudolf Weiss, and, and his book on herbal medicine, from which I've lectured most of my life, has the three herbs referred to in the book uh, for m- treating most functional gut conditions, and lemon balm uh, surfaces as we said last week, as a a preferred uh, remedy to be used even simply as a herbal tea to address what we used to call and what I still call uh, uh, dyspepsia, nervous dyspepsia. And uh, it was interesting as a result of talking about that last week, uh, even by the time I got back to my rooms, there were people uh, there wanting uh, to know how they could get hold of lemon balm, uh, what form they could take, if they could uh, prescribe it for their for their child or for themselves. So it generated a lot of interest, and it needs to be emphasised again that lemon balm, even as a simple herbal tea, in a preferred form as a herbal tea, is something which has a proven track record, documented incredible modern literature on clinical herbalism as being appropriate for dealing with this functional condition that we call nervous dyspepsia, particularly seen in high achievers, as I said last week, young people uh, who get themselves wound up because of the, the, uh, the level that they're putting into their studies and the anticipation of, of a future, the stress associated with it. Any reading on the herb lemon balm will confirm its specific relationship to that condition. And I've prescribed it for many, many years for that with, with pleasant benefits. So again, I reiterate to listeners, don't just discard it as a quaint, uh, flavoursome herbal tea. Like many herbal teas that are flavoursome and, and pleasant, they have constituents in them that have significant therapeutic benefits. That's why what we have said about lemon balm can be taken on board clinically and used to address those functional states that reflect themselves as a result of nervous upsets. But one thing that we didn't emphasise about this fascinating herb last week was that 
the chemical constituents in lemon balm, which are well known, by the way, very well known, the chemical constituents uh, associated with what we call the essential oil in lemon balm. And when we talk about an essential oil, we're talking about the chemical constituent in the herb that gives it its pleasant aroma and pleasant flavour. And essential oils have profound physiological effects uh, and many herbs are used to achieve therapeutic benefits by virtue of the constituents in their essential oil. What we have found about the essential oil of lemon balm is that when it is converted into an appropriate topical application, a cream, particularly a cream or an ointment, it has a very, very useful, uh, significant effect in addressing the herpes blister. So for things like um, uh, herpes, particularly um, facial herpes um, and elsewhere, as a topical application, it is quite significant and terribly underrated. And yet I challenge listeners to visit their pharmacy or visit their health food store and see the preparations that exist based on lemon balm, very capable of being used to address the, the herpes blister. So take that on board, a profound herb with a consequence there. And lastly, even though we did touch on uh, the benefit of this herb uh, for beekeeping and for honey production, it needs to be mentioned again that this herb has a reputation that again is appreciated, particularly in European countries, as a herb which has benefit in stabilising the beehive and lessening the swarming instinct in the hive. And so uh, a recommendation would be, particularly for amateur beekeepers uh, who want to see their hive stable and doing well and not swarming and invading the neighbour's property uh, at appropriate time of the year, get the lemon balm leaf from hopefully the lemon balm herb that you have growing in your garden and everyone should grow lemon balm if we want to see the bee population stabilised at a time when it's declining worldwide, we have to do things like this. And planting aromatics, particularly lemon balm, around one's house is a good way of encouraging activity with bees. But putting uh, lemon balm, smearing it on the inside of the hive, can prove itself to be useful in making the hive more content and lessening the swarming instinct. What a remarkable herb. What a remarkable herb. And Jane, 40 years studying herbs never ceases to astonish me and, and, and surprise me and encourage me to see that these despised little things that are not supposed to be useful in the modern world are in fact some of the most important things that nature has given to us. And lemon balm, if properly understood, can be harnessed to achieve medical as well as topical, as well as practical uh, values, even in the beehive. Mm. And on a short note, we mm. use citronella as a oh, mosquito absolutely. deterrent. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder whether lemon balm. Well, might lemon, have bar- lemon balm effect. would come into it because a constituent of citronella would be in the lemon balm. Ah, there you go. So you're, you're right on to it, Jane. Even I'm more very remarkable. Impressed. <laughs> I'm very impressed, Jane, with your knowledge of phytochemistry. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Rob, you've rung in from Medford, and your question's about green tea extract. Yes, it is. Uh, hi, Dennis. How are you going? I'm very well, Rob. How are you? 
Not too bad. Good, um, good. I was watching a current affair the other night, and oh, you yes. know, if it's a current affair, it's got to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a story about green tea extract, people having protein shakes with green tea extract in them, and it was causing, uh, I think, kidneys to die off. Um, is, is, it, is green tea extract bad for you? And valerian was, was also thrown in the mix as well. What I'd say about green tea is it's probably one of the most popularly used substances in the world. And in, in Asian countries, uh, green tea is taken almost across the day. In other words, a pot of green tea is on the desk, so to speak, and, and continually ingested. Uh, Would it be because it's an extract, though, rather okay. than just tea to concentrate? Now, that, that is a good question, but most, or I won't say most, but many preparations in the, in the health food industry um, use the green tea and it undergoes an extraction process. And generally speaking, that is a process which just takes from the, the leaf or the herb the constituents that are in it and converts it into a more convenient, usable or dispensable form. So most herbs that, that we use professionally start off with the crude herb, that is the leaf, the branch or the stem, subject it to an extraction process which frequently is as simple as uh, macerating the herb in an appropriate aqueous alcohol solvent and then getting that extract and using it clinically. Now um, with green tea um, it's not a preparation that I have used frequently in that form but the technique of extraction I would suspect uh, would all only be interested in getting out of the leaf that which makes the leaf effective, both as a refreshment and also as a potentially therapeutic substance. What might worry me a little bit, what, what uh, might worry me a little bit, is that there is a tendency, I suspect, emerging in the uh, natural health industry to think that bigger is better and that sometimes an extract of a herb or a vegetable or a fruit uh, becomes, if you like, not just an extract, but concentrated considerably until the actual uh, final extract is very concentrated and really targets the major active principle. Now, this is something that does worry me, but I think it's a big jump from that to say that it is problematical. I have not seen, I have not seen any evidence of it in my use of the green tea, particularly in tableted preparations uh, for patients that are using it to address various health problems. Having said that, I reiterate what I have said. I worry a bit about the way in which a simple extraction process can be accelerated to form a concentrate, sometimes very, very much stronger than that which represents the herb. But again, I have no support for my concern and no evidence in my use of the green tea in an extract, a concentrated extract form, no evidence that it does what was uh, said to have occurred with the herb. Um, So I still consider green tea to be a very safe, useful and valuable preparation. And for patients that uh, particularly are trying to do something uh, to address perhaps uh, a cancerous situation or potentially cancerous situation, the two French Canadians, Gingras and Bellevue, in their book on uh, foods that fight cancer, see the green tea as being a major agent 
due to its constituents in, in uh, helping the immune system resist uh, some sinister aspects of disease. Um, so I would be reluctant to go along with this hypothesis that, um, that it is problematical. I'd be reluctant to do that. The case I'm talking about, um, I think they used it more, more so for weight loss. Okay, and here, here again, here again, I worry about um, the use of herbs, particularly in, in perhaps a, an uncontrolled way, that is, any preparation, whether it be herbal or pharmaceutical, that's not perhaps being prescribed, dispensed and monitored by a GP, that worries me, because a lot of herbs can cause things to occur in the body, uh, herbs, for instance, that have diuretic consequences. If they are abused, they can promote what we call diuresis, and uh, th that can conceivably lead to some aspects of weight loss, but it can also bring about health problems by stimulating uh, the kidney uh, into a, a, to produce, if you like, extra um, uh, urine and get rid of a lot of fluid in the body. Um, other herbs can stimulate metabolism, and, and this also can participate in promoting aspects of weight loss. That has always worried me, and again I come back to the point, anything that seeks to promote uh, weight loss needs to be something that is clinically proven and based and monitored, and we have to make sure that people that are pursuing these techniques are in the right frame of mind, many of them, um, not really needing to address weight problems, but trapped into this idea that slimness is, nat nat is naturally better. So um, I would not promote anything, green tea or any other preparation, uh, for this purpose. It's something that needs to be medically monitored. Well, that uh, has raised a lot mm. of really good points. Thanks it, for it your has, call, it Rob. Has. And Judy's rung in from Fullerton Cove. And a question about detoxing, Judy. Um, I've just, uh, I have been detoxing now for about four weeks. Mm. Uh, I've just been mainly eating fruit and veggies and juicing a lot. Um, that's because I've been told of a certain health issue that I've got. But in the meantime, I've just been through a PET scan where they've um, filled me full of nuclear waste. And my doctor has also put me on a couple of different antibiotics. Um, should I wait until after I've finished the antibiotics tomorrow or to start juicing again? Um, or will I just keep eating fruit and veg for a while longer? Well, look, I don't think... Um any, any juicing is going to clash with what your good doctor has done with the antibiotics. Juices, yeah, I, I, juices, yeah, I uh, juices bring into the body a lot of minerals and vitamins and, and other constituents, which I would think uh, could be very worthwhile from a health perspective. So I could not see any reason why you could not continue doing that. Uh, juicing is a good way of harnessing the, the virtues of what exists in fresh fruits and vegetables and we don't use enough fresh fruit and vegetable and using them as a juice is a convenient way of getting them into our system at a good level. So I couldn't see how that would contradict what your doctor is doing to treat an infection. I would think that it might augment the work that your doctor's doing. So just keep on what I'm doing, just juicing and eating my fruit and veg. I, th yes. I just wondered. I just mm -hmm. wondered with the. I was just wondering with the antibiotics whether the antibiotics, because 
you know how it kills all the bugs in the system. Look, whether the, I'm just sort of, it's just right. a useless process at the moment. Judy, what you need to remember is the body is a remarkable creature and it has remarkable uh, responses and protective uh, aspects about it. Um, it's quite capable of handling an antibiotic um, episode. Uh, it, the, the antibiotic is not going to destroy your body chemistry. In fact, it can be a life-saving preparation for your body chemistry. I think there's a view amongst uh, many people which sees antibiotics as being such uh, terrible things that we have to, if you like, swing into an emergency action to limit the damage that they've done to us. We need to be cautious that we don't, um, if you like, see the antibiotic as something that, that is evil and, uh, and toxic. These things change the face of medicine and many of us uh, have experienced the profound benefits of antibiotic th therapy without any significant consequences. All that I would say is that with your antibiotic being taken, it might be useful to make sure that you're taking, say, a probiotic, but I don't think you need to see that you need to undertake any particular detoxifying process because your body, through the functioning of the liver, the functioning of the kidneys and the functioning of the bowel, is quite able to look after its own detoxifying techniques without, if you like, undergoing any procedures to try to stimulate it further. Uh, what you're doing with your fruit and vegetables and with your juices is great as part of a general lifestyle uh, process, but don't turn it into something uh, that sees it as a necessary thing to do uh, to clean out the body. I think that's being too simplistic, and I would not uh, see it as being perhaps necessary. Right, so you reckon I should also start taking some probiotics? Well, look, or should I wait until after I've finished the antibiotics? The, the probiotic is something as simple as Yakult. It's certainly not going to clash with what you've been prescribed. Um, the theory with the antibiotic is that it has some protective effect on bowel flora, although there is debate about this. But most um, naturopaths, herbalists, and even some GPs would recommend the use of a probiotic as perhaps uh, a useful agent to uh, to reinforce the the chemistry of the flora in the large bowel. I think it would be a good thing to do, but you're talking to someone who believes that even the probiotic thing has been perhaps pushed too far and that the market the marketing of probiotics in my opinion uh, is a bit over the top. I appreciate I appreciate the probiotic thing, but talking to someone who believes that you should try to get it from appropriate foods that have those substances in them without paying very, very significant prices for a sophisticated form of it. Use the, probi use the probiotic in a food form, say, and keep your juicing up. And um, I think if you're doing that, you really don't need to see you yourself needing, if you like, to, to be concerned about detoxifying all the time. A good diet, a healthy diet, plenty of fluids going in, particularly in the form of juices, good exercise, uh, good eating. That's the thing that keeps the body functioning well and supports all your detoxifying mechanisms. Excellent. Thank you for your question, Judy. Sounds really good. It is ooh, 21 to 1. 
on health naturally on 2NURFM. Betty joins us from Wall's End now. Betty, um, your question's about depression. Yes, Jane, uh, Dennis. Hello, Betty. Uh, hi. I have two members of my family that yes. suffer from very severe, and I mean severe, depression yes, and yes. anxiety. Yes. I think it's hereditary, really, yes. with them. Yes, yes. And they've been to, they're under the GPs, psychiatrists, had so many different types of medications that nothing has been helping. And it's yes. very sad to, to watch. Mm. I'm just lucky I missed out on it. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, depression um, is one of these things kind of, that can affect any of us. Um, my family knows particularly um, the effect of depression and what it can do even to a family at large. So I empathise with you entirely without elaborating. I empathise with your situation. I will be honest with you and say, Betty, that the system of medicine that I represent doesn't have the medications that are required to bring people back from the brink of severe depression. And with all the uh, seeming limitations of modern psychiatry and psychology, there are nevertheless many, many people that are alive today uh, because of the medications that the mainstream has developed to treat these oh, conditions. Yes. I'm, I'm not aware of anything that we could recommend that would uh, help severe depression. My only advice would be that perseverance, uh, having a good psychiatrist who, uh, if you like, supports the medication that's being uh, um, prescribed with good counselling, uh, with good referrals, that I am familiar with as far as uh, a methodology that has helped even um, even members of our family. Uh, not much more I can say on that, Betty. I, oh, well. I, I, I empathise <laughs> with you. Thank you very much. Mm. Thank you for your call, Betty. Um, moving over to Valentine now, and Judith, you'd like to know how to gain weight. Yes, please. Hello, I've Judith. lost it and I can't put it on. Okay. Did you lose it deliberately? No, no. Through depression, actually, through um, stress. Yes. Anxiety. Now, yes. Now, are you on any medication? For stress? Yes, yes. stress and depression you are, are yes, you? Yes, I'm, yes, I'm under psychologist actually. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you are. Yes. And, and um, you make sure that you remain uh, in the care of your psychiatrist. As I was saying to Betty just a moment ago, um, it's necessary to, to harness the benefits of modern psychiatry, which is, in my opinion come a long way since the time of my grandmother who suffered very badly from anxiety and depression. So I'm pleased that you're in the care of the psychiatrist. All that I would say is uh, sometimes uh, weight loss can be associated with medication you are taking. Uh, frequently, a psych oh. uh, frequently psychotropic medication can also cause weight gain. Uh, and that I know a lot about because of... Well, mine hasn't. I know. But what I guess, what I guess I'm saying is before you uh, start doing anything about uh, eating unusually or anything, uh, if you are on medication, discuss the medication with your psychiatrist, your GP, or even your pharmacist and see if there is anything in that that might be having a metabolic effect on you that could be causing it. 
you also would need to ensure, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that your GP and your psychiatrist would have done this, you also need to ensure that your thyroid is functioning uh, pretty yeah, well. That's been checked. Okay, because... That's very good. That, yes. That's great. Look, um, what I would suggest you do, um, you can ju- do this through your GP or your psychiatrist, express your concern and ask for a referral to see a nutritionist or a dietitian. Oh, okay. Right? They can do that, and I am sure that, uh, that you would be able to uh, have those consultations at a concessional rate. Um, I would prefer to see you do that than for me to just make statements on the radio in a very few minutes that may be too superficial. You see your GP, see your psychiatrist, mention that you've spoken to me and that I suggested that you have a consultation with a nutritionist or a dietitian who can address the problem more competently, but also, as I have said, uh, discuss with your medical managers if there is anything in what you are taking that could contribute to the problem. I doubt it, but it's always a good starting base. Oh, okay. Thank you. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart taking your calls. Daisy, your sunflower seeds are sprouting. Is this what you're rung to ask Dennis about? Yes. Well, last season, well, I've called, uh, we grew some great sunflowers and they gave us a lot of seeds. So then we thought, well, what are we going to do with them? So we looked in and discovered that growing the sprouts is quite beneficial. So I wanted to speak to Dennis um, and just see what benefits there are and what side effects there are and how many we should be eating. Oh, Stacey, that's a big call. Look, <laughs> sprouts, sprouts are, if you like, just another form of vegetable. Yep. Um, they have obviously plenty of fibre. They are, yes. they are useful appendages uh, for many meals, particularly salads or even cooked meals. You frequently see in restaurants now that sprouts of various forms are appended to the meal. I, I do not see any unique uh, properties mm-hmm. in them other than that they are a convenient conveyor of chlorophyll, of fibre, of yep. vitamins and minerals. Uh, and Ooh. I think that... In, in a sprout form, uh, the uh, roughage associated with them is very, very use, useful for the gut and it's a convenient way of getting good vegetable fibre into the gut. Uh, raw food and the sprouts are, are, are a representative of raw food usually contain, if you like, enzymes which also yep. participate in, in the digestive process. Um, so... I would think that any sprout, not just the sunflower sprout, but any sprout, any uh, any sprout uh, that is used would have those characteristics, uh, um, and all of those characteristics makes what you're doing seemingly a very valuable way of getting some goodies into the body in a convenient and tasty form. Fantastic! Yeah, no, I do. They are tasty, and yes. I'm on onto the fiber at the moment. Yes. I, don't, I don't believe there's enough fiber in our diet. So oh, look, you're, you're talking. You're talking to the to the converted here. <laughs> what we don't realize is that fiber is one of the most important agents uh, for the health of the gut, and many would argue that the lack of fiber in the Western diet. Uh, is responsible for a lot of digestive conditions, particularly as we approach the large bowel. Uh, 
So anything in a, in a useful uh, fibre form, particularly as a food, encourages better gut functioning and the health, particularly, of the large bowel. So I would concur with you and congratulate you. And uh, it's not just a cult. I, like, I actually like sprouts. And this is why in the supermarkets you can these days buy sprouts but if you can buy them in the supermarket why can't we just do it ourselves well done and uh, another thought too i think mm. sailors long distance sailors sometimes take seeds if they're going around the world yes. because they sprout and they give they them get a lot of vitamin c a lot of vitamin c hard to find <laughs> otherwise <laughs> yes. well done well done well done stacy it's uh, 10 to 1 and tim um, has rung in from Burigal and um, you've got swelling in the lower limbs or is it is it about yourself, Tim? Uh, no, it's not, Jane. It's okay. about my uh, my brother who suffers from swelling of the lower limbs. And uh, Dennis, I wanted to ask you about what, what can we use to help to alleviate the pain of it? Okay, the first thing that I'd need to ask there, Tim, is uh, the swelling of the, the lower limbs... Uh, where is that coming from? Is this associated with with the, the person's heart or his circulation? Oh, okay, very good, yes. Look, he's working with his doctor and he's okay. ruled out kiver, uh, sorry, uh, kidney or liver function okay. and he's just been to a, the, the cardiologist yes. to, uh, to check on his, uh, his heart and yes. there is a, a borderline enlargement of the heart. Okay. okay. So obviously he's working with his doctor but just in the, in, I guess, in the meantime till we sort of you know, nut that one out, what can be used to alleviate some of the pain? Is, is, the, is the pain constant? Oh, look, yeah, yes, it is, yeah. It, it's, uh, I mean, as I said, it's severe swelling, and because he's, I guess, incapacitated in the wheelchair, he really needs for his lower limbs to be, I guess, in a, in a, uh, a better state so that he can at least, the, the little bit that he does move around, he, he, he can, you know, do that without too much pain, I guess. Okay. Look, there's no um, off-the-cuff answer to this, and it would be superficial of me to suggest uh, very much for this, because uh, with any swelling, particularly of the lower uh, limbs, uh, the discomfort associated with it needs to be tracked back to what's causing it. If, yeah. you, if you can address the causative factor, that can arguably get rid of the, 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 the problem by re- resolving the fluid build-up. Okay. Uh, I I would suspect that your uh, is it your uh, what a relative? Uh, my brother. I, w- I would suspect that your brother uh, may well be on a diuretic. Yes. Um, um, he would... Oh look, yes, he is. The okay. doctors pre- um, prescribed some of those for him. Yes. And, and and has that been taken for very long? Um, yes, it has. It's been 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 ongoing for a while now. Okay. Look, um, something to because anything you were to do here you would need to uh, get the approval of your GP and your cardiologist. Yes. But um, I'm a great fan of what are called bioflavonoids. Yes. And bioflavonoids have a very good relationship to deficient um, lymphatic circulation and a lot of fluid build-up in the extremities is a result of poor lymphatic drainage. Right. Now, uh, you can run this past your doctor and the good thing about it is Bioflavonoids, because they occur in foods, are very, very safe. Okay. And they are very, very accessible. And, in fact, they're not, you don't necessarily have to have a script for them. But one of the bioflavonoids is called rutin, R-U-T-I-N, 
your GP and specialist would know of it. Yep. And if, if you were to Google it up, you would see that it, has, that it has an ability to help lymphatic circulation of the peripheries. Okay. I, I would see that as an appendage yes. uh, to what your brother is taking yes. as being something that might have a significant effect, even qu- quite an outstanding effect, okay. if this is what is really causing the situation. Poor lymphatic circulation um, not being helped at this stage by mainstream medication, although it is necessary, try the bioflavonoids and rutin in particular, rutin. mention that, and uh, give that a try. Fantastic. Can that be found? That needs to be prescribed by a doctor? Or no, look, it doesn't need to be. It's an OTC preparation. Yes. But um, you have heard me on this program long enough to know that um, a lot of what I advise is for patients to discuss what I say Yes. with their primary carers. Yes. I have great regard for our general practitioners and Absolutely. our cardiologists. Yes. Um, so it is the right thing to do, particularly with a, a person that is compromised, like your brother is, to at least discuss this to your GP or the specialist. There would be no objection to it, um, and it might just do the trick. Fantastic. Look, we'll certainly be having that conversation. Okay, Dennis. good Thank on you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you if you called, Tim. Um, we will, of course, be back next week. Getting closer. We've still got a couple, well, just under a couple of minutes to go, Dennis. So uh, can we round off on lemon balm? Oh, look, we could talk, Jane, we could talk all day about this remarkable remedy. Um, we have said a lot about it over the last two sessions, but in concluding, Uh, because we probably won't talk about it intensely like this again for the rest of the year, let us conclude by saying that it is an underrated little gem both for the professional practitioner of herbal medicine in addressing clinical conditions characterised by anxiety and nervous dyspepsia symptoms. It is a little gem when used simply as a herbal tea I said last week that we would not underestimate the use of the herbal tea as a conveyor of beneficial effects. So it doesn't have to be an expensive preparation. Uh, Think of it also as a remarkable topical preparation to have on the shelf for those that regularly experience herpes simplex. It can abort the development of the blister and promote the healing of it. And goodness me, listeners that have heard me today race out to your appropriate nursery and get hold of a couple of lemon balm plants, put them in your garden, cultivate them and have happy bees round your place. Happy bees. <laughs> and, of course, use the leaves to make your tea. Oh, plants. lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much, Dennis Stewart, for today. You will be able to catch this program on podcast, Health Naturally, through to nurfm.com as always. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.